So we open your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 3 as we continue our study um, through the book of Daniel. Changing Kingdoms, Unchanging King is the title of our series. Daniel chapter 3. And would you turn your hearts and your attention and your focus and your worship to the Lord as we study his inspired and inerrant and sufficient and authoritative word. God has something to say to everyone here today through his perfect word. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of, excuse me, music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men? Bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Heavenly Father, if there is anything we want to take out of your word this morning... It's that we would be a people who would worship God alone, regardless of what it costs us. Because you are worthy of that devotion. There is no one else who saves and satisfies our souls like you. And so God, would you grow us in faith and confidence in your word and your promises that we would not answer the world's call to worship all of its idols. We want to worship you and you alone. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a narrative like Daniel 3 can be both inspiring and demoralizing, depending on how you're coming at it. It's inspiring if you see it as an illustration of how worthy of worship, trust, and obedience our God is. 
and the empowering grace that God gives his people to not compromise their faith and witness to the world. That's awesome. God gives grace for us to live this way. Isn't that great? But it's demoralizing if you only compare yourself to Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know that, oh my goodness, I could never do that. In fact, so you can just get in line behind me. I'm reading through this this week again and again and again. And I keep telling the Lord, wow, I have more in common with Nebuchadnezzar than I do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There have been countless idols I've bowed down to. There's good news if you're like me. So you'll hear that this morning. So it's important to remember, I think, right from the get-go, please remember, these are teenagers. So the scholars think that this, this could be either as low, as young as middle school age, or at least no more than high school age. So be thinking about that in terms of gospel transfer the next generation and all that we've been talking about about that. These are teenagers who are standing in front of fiery furnaces and, and dealing with a megalomaniac ruler of multiple nations. Teenagers who won't bow the knee to the Father. Oh, that inspires me. Oh, oh God, help us do better. Help us train up the young people here. Okay, I'm sorry. Those are in my notes. Where, where was I? Um... So it's important to remember that these teenagers, nor us as older people, we don't become those kind of followers of God just by spontaneity. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to kind of live my life. I'll read the word occasionally. I'll go to church when it's convenient. And I, but then when I'm faced with the, the call to worship of the world versus the call to worship the Lord, oh, so I'm gonna, of course I'm going to worship the Lord. These guys did not respond spontaneously to the fiery furnace. God gave them grace and faith to progressively become these kind of followers because they knew God's character. They, they knew God's loving commitment to them in the covenant. They knew God's mission to bless every ethnic group on earth with the coming of Messiah. In other words, these teenagers had been taught the word of God. These teenagers had been discipled in the Word of God. And at this point, I thought there were four particular texts to highlight that I think undergird our study of Daniel that these, these teenagers knew very, very well. And it's in your notes, Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. That was written on their heart. Genesis 12.3, they understood the mission. This is the kind of the great commission verse of the Old Testament. In you, meaning in Abraham and Abraham's family line, the promised Messiah would come. And all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in that promised Messiah, not just the Jews. How about Jeremiah 29.7? But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. These guys knew their mission. How about 1 Kings 8.50? Forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion and mercy in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion and mercy on them. So wherever the Lord plants us, 
whether it be because he's disciplining us and, and that's what's driving us into another location or whether he's just sending, out, uh, sending us out on mission, our, our call is the same. We are to reach the lost for Christ. And so that God give us compassion and mercy even on people who treat us harshly. And then finally, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, and you'll see how this plays in today. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I think those verses would be great to rehearse just on your own this week. Just to write, have to ask God to be writing these passages on all of our hearts. So they became able to be faithful of the Lord when faced with big threats and intimidation because they learned to be faithful to know and obey God, to obey the word of God in small obediences and temptations. They stood up for God in things like this. So, so here's how you get to stand before Nebuchadnezzar in a fiery furnace. So kids, you know how you get there? You start by obeying mom and dad. That's, a, that's taking a stand for Jesus. Obedience to mom and dad is one of the greatest declarations to the world. I do things God's way. I don't do things the world's way. How about this, husbands? How about this? You know how we get prepared to stand before fiery furnaces? Is we love our wives the way Christ loves the church. Wives, you respect your husbands and submit to them the way the church submits to Christ. How about this? Forgiving others, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. There's plenty of good work for us to do, isn't there? There's plenty of grace to be had and plenty of small obediences that prepare us and grow us stronger to prepare for those days ahead when, when the, the call to worship of the world is putting a gun to your head and saying, you worship our values and our rulers or else. We're not going to get there spontaneously. We'll get there through spiritual disciplines and the grace of God, through the word of God. Uh, for, for, and then, you know, for Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, it not only included hiding the word in their heart, it began by eating vegetables. They didn't just stand in front of the fiery furnace. It began by saying... The king wants to be the source. He wants to think that the government is the source of all our life and blessings. We're not going to bow down to that. So we're not going to eat the king's fatty food. We're not going to let him claim the glory for being the source for our lives. Can we just eat vegetables and water? You remember the story, so I won't go back into that. So that's, so, it, so you see what, there are stepping stones that prepare us to have stronger faith for the days ahead. And precious ones, we are going to need stronger faith for the days ahead. So the main point this morning is God sustains and empowers those who worship him alone. 
Let's see how. First point is God empowers us to not be conformed to the worship of the world. And you see that in verses 1 through 15. Nebuchadnezzar makes this giant image of gold. It's, it, it, the, the cubits translate into 100 feet tall, 9 feet wide. In that culture, this was massive. It's thought to be an image of himself because that's one of the ways that kings of that time reinforced their rule over the nations. They didn't have a 24-hour news feed, right? So, so world leaders couldn't just, just get online and, and tell the world what they're thinking. So you know what they do? They build statues of themselves to reinforce the punishment that would come if you disobey that king. That image is there reminding you He's, he's a rough king. He's a bad, you better, you better fall in line. Or he's a good king. And maybe you serve him because he's a good king. But that was, the, that was kind of the principle of having statues throughout your kingdom. It reminded them who they were to obey and the benefits of obeying him and the consequences for disobeying him. And so, so that's, it's likely that this was a, a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself. But I tried to... I don't think I did a good job reading the text today. Not like I wanted to. It, whether it was a statue of himself or not, if you go back and look at this, wasn't there a ton of repetition in the chapter? I mean, weren't you kind of going, can, can, you know, okay, we heard that. We heard that. Repetition's always purposeful from the Lord. And one of the repetitions was Nebuchadnezzar set up, he set up, he set up, he set up the image, he set up the image, he set up the image, he set up the image. So whether it was for a statue of him or not, nine times the verses tell us Nebuchadnezzar is full of himself. He demanded people to not only obey the laws of his government, but to go even further and worship him. Guys, as we, as we move forward, so you know, we're going to go from Daniel to studying the book of Revelation. And you're going to see both in Daniel and even more clearly in Revelation that the persecutor of the church historically is mainly found in government or false religion. That's mainly where the persecution of the church comes. And then other things fall into place under that. So that's for sure happening here. Remember in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was that of a giant image with the head made of gold, right? Which represented his kingdom. And then the, the, the rest of the, the uh, statue, the image was made of different metals representing other kingdoms that would come and go uh, in the future. And mainly though that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was going to come to an end. And we saw Nebuchadnezzar bow down at the end of the chapter, right? At the revelation uh, that, that supposedly was revealing that God is the eternal king and his kingdom is the only lasting kingdom. Uh, but apparently, apparently he wasn't really changed. We're going to see that <laughs> even more so this morning. Um, here we are in chapter 3, and Nebuchadnezzar's making a statue of himself in which not only the head is of gold. Did you notice? The whole thing. The whole thing is gold. In other words, this is Nebuchadnezzar resisting the word of God and declaring, I don't care what that dream was about. That was probably just because I, ha I had some bad pizza. Or I guess maybe in that culture, bad pita, maybe, you know. Um, my kingdom will never end. I'm going to stay in control and I'm going to make sure I stay in control. So he, he makes this all of gold and he builds it on the plain of Dura. 
Now that's important because this is the same plain where another monument to self-worship was built, the Tower of Babel. It's the same plain. It's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar is trying to reverse the effects of Babel by bringing all ethnicities. Did you notice? Hey, all nations, all peoples, come on, come to, to this image of me, most likely, and bow down, and let's find our unity. Let's find our unity in worshiping Nebuchadnezzar and the statue. It was an effort to unite people in a rejection of God and an acceptance of false worship. And so here we go. What do we say again? Again, the, the, the horn, the lyre, the trigon, which I, don't, I should have looked up. What in the world is a trigon? I don't even know what a trigon is. I guess it's some instrument. Um, but that same song is being played for us. Reject Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. And let's find our unity in the worship of the world and bowing down to earthly kings and rulers. Verse 3 talks about the satraps and the prefects and the governors, the counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image. In other words, it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter how much power you had in government or popularity with the people, whether you had a personal friendship with the king, no one was exempt. That's why all of this list of government officials is put out there. Everyone, not just government officials, but all nations, everyone was called to bow down when you heard the call to worship of the world. In other words, when you hear the call to false worship, respond. When you hear the call that sex out of, outside of marriage is just normal, it's just common. You got to try things out before you get married. That's the call to false worship. There's so many others we'll maybe touch on as we go. So whether it's what the world is saying about sex or gender or marriage, lots of calls to false worship going on in there, isn't there? Whether it's about the sanctity of human life and what the world is saying about that, whether it's about materialism, what the world says about success. Are you measuring success biblically or, or, or what the world says you should be bowing down to? What the world says about the role of government? What the world says about education, employment, regardless, when you hear the call to false worship, bow. Bow down and worship it as the highest priority of your life. Here's just a kind of a quiet moment. I think some of us are so used to, bow, to responding to that call of worship, we're not even realizing some of the ways that we're compromising our faith because we're acting more like the world than the church of Jesus Christ. And I, I would be one to say, got some places where I'm guilty of that. Whoever doesn't fall down before me can be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. I found that kind of interesting. Why couldn't you just say a fiery furnace? No, it's a burning, fiery furnace. I think it's just this arrogance, this, this hatred the, the, of the world against God's people. No, there was no court of appeals, no innocent until proven guilty, and the punishment is more severe than the crime. 
Verse 7, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I wish there was an illustration. Can you imagine tens of thousands of people? The call to worship is played. And people, you're just walking, and people bowing down, bowing down. Bowing down, bowing down in front of their televisions, bowing down in front of their computers, bowing down, bowing down for false worship. Well, here's one way I I found that I've got way more in common with Nebuchadnezzar. Did you notice that when he refused God's word, when he refused, refused the conviction of God's word, when Nebuchadnezzar refused to bow down to God's control over his life, it kind of creates a vacuum and it does for you and me too. If I'm not submitting to God's control in my life, you know what I'm doing? I'm taking control. And you know what I do when I take control, and I think you do too? We ask other people to submit to our rules and regulations. When I don't bow down to him, I typically want you to bow down to me. Here's how to be in a relationship with me. See, none of us think this, but you know, we, we can do that. When we're resisting where the Holy Spirit is calling us to change, whether it's an area of forgiveness or to deal with bitterness or whatever it is, and we're still saying no, we take over control and we expect everyone else to, here's how you have a relationship with me. This is how, if you want to be in a good standing with me, this is how you have to be. Man, I did that so much with my kids. I do that, honey. I'm so sorry when I do that to you. There's still something in me that wants to be appreciated. I'm sorry when I do that to you as a pastor. You know how, what a bane of my existence it is, and I'm asking God to help me mortify this, but to want you to have liked the sermon instead of wanting you to have met with God in the sermon. Forgive me. When I don't feel appreciated by Jan or my kids, it's not pretty. Is it with you? When your kids don't say thank you, aren't they, oh my goodness, you're not worshiping the dad of dads. (laughs) And I really discover I'm really not teaching them thankfulness. I'm teaching them to follow dad's idol. So you see how that works. I don't know whether that would be forgiven, whatever the category might be for you. you, Are you asking people to conform to you to be in a relationship with you rather than are wanting to be conformed to Christ and serving people relationally with his glory and mission in mind? There's a big difference. Well, the works, this, this, this thing that Nebuchadnezzar works really, really well if you're, if you're ruling over a polytheistic culture, because even if this godlike image of Nebuchadnezzar has not been in your personal collection of gods, right, um, up to this point, it's easy just to include Nebuchadnezzar, right? We'll just include Nebuchadnezzar's God as a part of all of our other forms of worship. So no big deal to bow down, especially if we're going to get thrown in the fire, right? Especially that. He, he, listen to what he's saying here, because I think there's this, this subtle whisper of this in our world today. Nebuchadnezzar's not saying you have to give up your other gods. Just make sure they are subordinate to Nebuchadnezzar and his God. Make it clear where your ultimate loyalties are. Just 
Just keep your beliefs about God personal. Just keep them to yourself. We're going to get along great. Let, hey, listen, you have your truth. I have my truth. Just keep it to yourself. Just keep it to yourself. Because if you don't, you know what? You're going to really hinder the unity of our country. That comes from bowing down to the government and the morals of our culture. This kind of law has an agenda, doesn't it? It's, a, it's an agenda to identify and call out and if necessary, eliminate those whose worship is monotheistic. And now we see that unfold with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verses 8 through 11, the Chaldeans come forward with an accusation. No accident there. Remember the Chaldeans were part of the dream team, if you want to call it that. They were part of the king's dream interpreters that couldn't, didn't have a clue and couldn't help him in any way. And here comes Daniel, who not only can interpret the dream, but tells the dream. So they're already, they're already bitter men. They got, they got passed by for their promotions, right? And so they're coming forward with the accusation. They're the mole in the organization because they, they, didn't, they hated the fact that these guys were promoted over them. And so they, they re-go over the whole thing. They remind Nebuchadnezzar of all that he has commanded and the consequence of his commands. And then they name names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those guys. You're the one that promoted them over us to uh, rule in the affairs of Babylon. They pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship the golden image that you've set up. You guys, there is no indication here that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just being obnoxious. You know, that here comes the around all the worldly, call to worldly worship, call to worldly worship is going on. And here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego holding up their signs. We will not bow. We will not bow. Right? Yeah, yeah, kind of Hey, Fox News, come over here. We will not bow. They're not, we don't see that. They're probably continuing to do what they'd always been doing and seeking the well-being of the place that God sent them into exile, serving the Lord, serving their employers well, and not bowing down to the king's image. But in a fallen world with its fallen rulers, you guys, they're not going to be satisfied for you to just quietly and respectfully disagree regardless of how nice you are. The fallen world will call you out and you better be ready because they want you to affirm what they're doing. You have to agree with our views of gender. You have to agree with our views of sensuality or sexuality. You have to agree with our view of government. You have to agree. You have to bow down or else we'll cancel you. You're going to have to, I got to please. I don't know how else to do it. I don't know how else to say it. There's coming a day when you're going to have to take a public stand for your faith in Jesus. And we don't want to take that. Yes, I believe. Don't we want to say, yes, I'm a believer. He saved me from the sin and punishment that I deserved. Of course I'm a believer. And oh, he loves you too. Don't you want to respond that way? 
Well, God empowers us to take stands against the pressures and threats and intimidations that come in front of us. So here's in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. This is just, there's no way to verbalize how this is intense hatred. He commands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought to him. Is it true you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image? I'll see for myself if you're ready when you hear the music of the world. March to its drumbeat by falling down and worshiping the image. And if you do not, you will be immediately cast into the burning furnace. And who is the God anyway who can deliver you out of my hands? Man, I'm surprised he didn't get struck with lightning right there. I want you to think of the threats and intimidations and fears that you are facing right now, regardless of a fiery furnace. How about peer pressure? You know, when he named all the magistrates and say traps and all of that, in other words, for our younger people, it's saying this, all the cool kids are doing it. How about this, for those of us, maybe with, you know, the, whether it's our employment or people that we do, uh, we're, we're involved with in the school system or in a co-op, a homeschool co-op or whatever. Um, it, it's essentially, that's what's happening here is the, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being pointed to all the people they work with. These are all people they see regularly. These are all people that they've got to deal with. And they're saying, all of them bow the knee. What's wrong with you? So there's that. Even other Jews are doing it. How about this one? Have you ever, have you ever heard Satan's voice, I think, saying, other Christians are doing this? Every day you see people bowing down to the various gods and idols. Bowing down to idols is so common. It's a normal way to live. So bow down to the king's idol. Conformity is normal. So conform to the world. Going against culture for Jesus' sake and mission, that's what's abnormal. That's what's wrong. How about the pressure to compromise? If I get fired for my faith, which after I wrote it, I went, ooh, that's a terrible sentence in regard to a fiery furnace. But if I get fired for my faith, who will stand up for Christ in my company, right? There's these, these, these compromising thoughts that we get. You know, the king's not telling me I cannot believe in the one true God. I, I just have to give my ultimate allegiance to the government and false religion. I can still believe in Jesus. God doesn't look on outward appearances anyway because he looks at the heart. So even if I bow my knee on the outside, on the inside, I'm standing up for Jesus. How about this? You hear this every political cycle when people are asked about moral issues, particularly abortion. Well, you know, in my, in my official capacity as a government leader, um, you know, I, I acknowledge that practice, but personally I'm against it. There's so many ways we compromise. How about this? After all the government has done for you, after all your job has done for you. This is how you thank us? By not bowing down to our idols and the ultimate threat of pain and death. So verse 16, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond by saying, hey king, we don't even need to think about it. We can give you the answer right now. 
even before the music plays. Hey, just so you know, you can play the music. We've already made our decision. We're not bowing. You have to prepare to not compromise. Are you preparing to not compromise? Why would we make so much of your personal devotions day by day? Because you're preparing to not compromise. You're preparing to worship God alone. They understood that saying yes to a covenant commitment with God meant saying no to worship of anyone and anything else. Do you consciously have that thought? Saying yes to Jesus just mandates that I have to say no to things. How about marriage? When I married my precious wife in our marriage covenant, I said this, forsaking all others. I'm a one woman man. Saying yes to this commitment means saying no to other things. And I just don't know that we're thinking that way as believers. God uses small acts of faithfulness and obedience to grow faith large enough to withstand future trials. And I think that's what that preparation time with God is. I worship God alone. And here's another part of it. If the greatest evidence that you're even saved this morning is not that you prayed a prayer or were baptized 15 years ago, but that you love and serve Jesus Christ today. Uh, don't, don't go to your, bap- your baptism certificate and blow the dust off. But you don't have any love for God's mission. You don't have no love. Boy, I'm that, you don't got no love. I don't got no education. Oh, man. But it's really, guys, how are you going to stand against this ruler and this fire if you just don't have a fundamental love of God's word and to pray and to fellowship with believers? And these are all ways that God prepares us for what's ahead. Verse 17, we will not bow down to the image or to you. You ask about what God can deliver us out of your hands. We'll tell you. The one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God. We're not ashamed of this God. He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. So I want you, these are a couple super important points to to kind of wind up today. Listen, this this is huge. These are statements of faith. First is, first do you notice the importance they say, we will not bow down. Are you in a relationship with other believers that, that you're, you're getting that from each other? To where you feel like, even if we're not in the same location, man, the other believers in my life are strengthening my faith and my commitment and my resolve to worship God alone. We will not bow down. But then they make this statement, we believe that our God is able. This is faith in God's ability. It's faith in God's character. It's faith that he can save us. But then the classic line, which is as much a statement of faith as believing God can heal you or believing God can deliver you not even have to get close to the fire. This is as much a statement of faith. And in our prosperity gospel world, it's a statement of faith to say, but even if he does not, 
I won't bow down to the idols of the world. I will worship God and God alone. That's faith. That's faith. Even if he does not, we will continue to worship. If God allows us to die, knowing and worshiping God is more valuable than life. God's loving kindness is better than life. It's a statement that we're submitted to his will. It's a statement that he knows way better than anything we can imagine. Even if he does not, Lord, we trust your loving providence and we will worship you alone. We will have no other gods but our God, even if it costs us our lives. Even if he does not save me from the fire, I will trust him. They don't know God's plan and the temptation or the trial, but they still trust him. That's faith. Even if he does not, we will worship him alone. We trust that God will be as glorified in our deliverance or in our death. Corey, I so saw us, all of us saw that with you and Shayla. You didn't tell God how to do his business. We, we stood with you and asking God to heal Shayla. And you trusted, God, we know you can do that. And we pray for that. But even if you don't, Jesus is still Lord. And you taught us a lot about how to live with a faith like that. That's a faith life. That's not doubt. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Right? We don't have a promise that God will always deliver us from our immediate troubles, but we do have his promise that he will be with us always, sustaining our faith and that our faithfulness to him, even if it costs our very lives. I love this, what Sinclair Ferguson said. The three friends were, this is in your notes, were already committed to the flames before they knew precisely what form God's grace would take. Would it be the grace of deliverance or the grace to die well for God's glory? Only in the moment of the trial would it become clear how God would show his faithfulness and so it is with us. We would rather die than bow down to you, O King. You can take my life, but you know, King, my life is in Christ. You can take my home, but my home is with him. You can take my income, but my true treasures are Jesus. You may take my comfort, but he's my comfort and peace. And God preserves through the fire with his abiding presence. And so you saw how the story ended. There was a fourth man in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar said, who's the God that can save you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even save his people. His guys got burned up in the fire, didn't they? You follow the worship of the world, it's going to burn you up. But you trust in the Lord. He will stand with you in the fires of affliction of your life. And you know how you can know that? Because God is rich in mercy. He's the one who knows that all of us have bowed down to the call to worship from the world. 
We've sought to be conformed to the world, bow down to its idols. We all deserve a fiery punishment, don't we? Just for our sinful unfaithfulness to God. But God, Christ came, stood alone in my place in the fire of God's wrath, poured out upon him for all the sins that I've committed. And because Christ bore the punishment for my idolatry in the fiery furnace of God's wrath, I can now, without a shadow of a doubt, know that if Christ stood alone for me in the furnace of God's just judgment, he will stand with me in the fires of my afflictions. Amen. Josh, would you come and close us? I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have, is your understanding of salvation coming to Jesus not just to get a ticket to heaven, but to live a new life of worshiping Him alone and taking a stand for Him alone? Does the world see that you're, you're, you're don't, you don't compromise your faith in the Lord or your witness to people by being conformed to the world because Jesus is so valuable to you. He's the greatest treasure you've ever known. He satisfies your soul. He gives you peace even in the worst times of your life. He's given you a reason for living. There's a calling that he's given you to live. Do you know Jesus in that way? And if not, we sure would want to invite you to repent of your disobedience to God. You, you deserve a fiery judgment because of your treason of disobedience to Jesus and breaking his commands to God. God loves you so much, though, that Christ took the cross that you should have died upon on himself so that he could not only satisfy God's justice, but that he could also drench you with forgiveness and love and righteousness, and that you could know what it is to be adopted and treated like a son or a daughter of a perfect father. We sure would want you to know that kind of Savior who went to the furnace of God's wrath for you, so that you could always know he will always be with you when you have to walk through the fires of this life. Let's stand.